As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Danny, this is meant to be a serious exercise, and you're taking the piss. No, no, this, no, it's not. This is the kind this of is a noble pursuit. This is the kind of stuff that's made me virtually unemployable in British media today. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from the Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly, and today I'm joined by the full team: Charlie Eccleshare, Jack Pitbrook, and James Moore. It's been a week since uh, we last recorded one of these, and after a busy start to the transfer window. Am I right in thinking, Charlie, that the uh, Spurs business has slowed down a bit? Yeah, I guess relative to the previous few weeks, it has been quite quiet, But which I'm sure everyone's taking with their normal good humour and in their stride. Um, yeah, slightly itchy feet, but yeah, there, there are, there's plenty going on. Why, why the slowdown? Anyone got any ideas or is it just be patient, the Don is doing his work? Yeah, I think it's, you know, certainly with something like Jed Spence... I mean, we'll I, was, I, was, I was saying to James, I'm, I, I mean, I'm confident Spence will happen, and you know, the noise is that it's just taking a bit of time. He was away with the under 21s, has been on holiday, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but that slight triore feeling of it was all but done, and then suddenly it wasn't. But I, I don't think that will happen. I think that one will get over the line. It might just take well, a little bit timeline, of time. I mean, I'm interested in your timeline there, but we we'll get on to Jed Spence, and I'll, I'll just so to load up that particular piece. We'll talk about Ericsson first. I mean, the timeline surely is he finishes playing for the under-21s, yes. Then he gets down on his hands and knees and he crawls from wherever the last match was to the gates of Spurs and begs to play for them, yeah? But that takes a while to get there, doesn't that's it? All they can, that's all it can be. Is, is anyone tracking him like people do with those flight yeah. tracker things? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start then with one that's... Again, another one that should be very easy to piece together if it is to be pieced together. That's Christian Eriksen. Have Spurs gone cold? Was Christian unconvinced about the move? Has it been called off, Jack? It does seem at the moment like the moment, like the momentum in this particular negotiation is probably moving away from Ericsson joining Tottenham. It's that's that's been my takeaway from the last week or so. Um, obviously, I mean clearly it's, Eric, it's in Ericsson's hands. I'm sure he's spoken to lots of different clubs, but my impression is that uh, of the different options that Ericsson will have, it feels like Tottenham is probably less likely to be where Ericsson ends up than it felt like a week or two ago. Why would that be, do you think? I, I know you can't know this, but just what, what would your opinion be, your informed guess? 
My informed guess is that Tottenham, you know, Tottenham play a 3-4-3. They don't play with a number 10. Conte doesn't especially like playing with a number 10. They've got Kulisewski, who plays in the front three, and then they've got two incredibly hard-working central midfielders behind him. Um, I know, you know, Ericsson did eventually play for Conte's Inter as a 10, but he spent a lot he spent a lot of time not playing for Conte's Inter before the, the, the time when he did actually manage to get in the team. So, yes, he only, he only got into the team when Conte decided to try and be successful. Yeah, so Is you that can, fair? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, but you can kind of, you can imagine that Ericsson might want, it, it makes most sense for a player as good as Ericsson to go to a team where he's the best player. The Basuma arrival as well probably changed things um, because suddenly they've got four very, very good central midfielders. Um, and even though we've talked many times about Conte wanting competition, about the five subs, about the Champions League, etc., uh, it looks like they've prioritised things elsewhere. But it, it is a change because even back end of last week, we were hearing and we did a Q&A with our subscribers and kind of reported what we were hearing, which was that you know Spurs and Brentford look like they were in a good position. Um and I think Brentford remain in that. But obviously then the noises coming out of Spurs early part of this week were that, you know, that's not a priority for them. They're moving away from it. And, you know, I've spoken to people who said, never say never. It could it could change again. But certainly at the, at the moment, um, it looks like that's not a goer, which is a shame because Conte as well has, you know, he hasn't dampened that. I think in February he was saying how, you know, they'd, they'd make a move, they'd consider making a move for him. And that was, you know, really early on when Ericsson was just starting out. It may have been March, actually, by the time Ericsson was was playing for for Brentford regularly. So you know, and, we, and you know, we saw how it did eventually work out really well at Inter. But yeah, it might have to be one that kind of was a romantic idea, but won't actually come to fruition. James, uh, just to prove a that you're on the firm, which is very nice indeed. Should we, as Spurs fans, be slightly down in the mouth that Ericsson's not coming back? How do you feel about it? I mean, I have to admit, I, I've probably dampened on it a little bit over the last sort of month or so. I mean, obviously, it would be great if he did come back and clearly signing someone of that quality on a free transfer isn't to be sniffed at. But looking at the slightly bigger picture, if Spurs do have the kind of budget that we assume they do and can also shift a couple of players for reasonable fees, they should really be in a position to sign a player better suited to the manager's system and with more of their career ahead of them. You know, Ericsson is what I think thirty now. And you know, some of the other players Spurs have been linked with, like you know, like Paqueta at Leon. I think he's at twenty-four. I mean, I, I'm not suggesting I've seen as much of him. I have of Ericsson, obviously. I'm extraordinarily um, wary of buying another midfielder well, from Leon. We've already had our <laughs> trousers not just pulled down, but then cut into tiny squares in front of us. There might be a part exchange option there, at least, if nothing else. But yeah, I just I just wonder whether actually the slightly more pragmatic option might be to to stamp up a bit more cash and go for someone who is A, better suited and B, is going to be a longer term option and a longer term investment as well. Let's move on to Jed Spence then because this has been ongoing and ongoing and quite apart from my crack about him what should be on his hands and knees to their bloody stumps till he gets to the gates of White Hart Lane. What do we make about the fact that it is ongoing but more importantly, does anyone believe this story that um, Paratashi has been stood down and Daniel Levy has once again stepped into the breach to organise the negotiation for Jed Spence's transfer. Yeah, I, I absolutely. I mean, without knowing the specifics of this particular case, it is certainly true to say in general 
that Daniel Levy is very involved in transfer business and has been since Prestige came in. You know, we we've spoken about this a fair bit on the podcast. Obviously, there are there are some deals that have clearly got Prestige's fingerprints on, whether it's Romero, Kulisevsky, Benton Kerr, uh, Gallini, etc. Equally, there are some deals which which are down to Levy. The biggest of all being Antonio Conte. You know, the the signing of Antonio Conte in October November last year was a Levy deal, not a Paratici deal. And even on even on recruitment, Levy is still, you know, busily talking to people and getting involved. And so it is to- it is very very plausible to me that Levy would would be involved in this particular one. Even though you know, I should be clear, I don't know the specifics of this particular case right now. I mean, has any, have any of you seen enough of Jed Spence, either for England or Nottingham Forest, to say whether he's going to be worth, you know, uh, the actual, it seems to be a, not a struggle, but a, a little bit of a, a grind to get him to the club? I mean, I was, I was saying this to James the other day, just from conversations I've had with people in the game. Quite a few of them have said he's he's got that slight... Um, not uh, and before this is reworded as me comparing him to Trent but in a kind of very good going forward not so good going the other way I mean the the performance that Spurs fans might have particularly enjoyed was the way he destroyed Arsenal in that FA Cup third round tie that Forrest won in January but yeah that's mainly based on kind of conversations I've had rather than having seen him a load yet I mean I'm planning on as this gets closer to you know really sitting down and familiarizing myself with his game but having been burnt doing that with uh triore i'm gonna wait until i'm really really confident that's happening i am not spending out more hours watching right wing backs who don't eventually join tottenham well i mean he, he does he, he, what's attractive to me about him is that the things he already has are fantastic but and of course at his age it's possible that he will you know put 50 percent 100 percent onto his performance levels that are there now you never know how that flowering between 18 and 20 is going to affect him. And if he did make progress from where he is, what a fantastic player he, he would be. And if Spurs are forced to pay 20-odd million for him, um, in two years' time, I might be laughing up my sleeves at how small a fee that was. Meanwhile, let's move on then to, um, one wants to say a carousel, but it kind of merry-go-round and um, eventually we'll have to stop with left-sided centre-backs. Now, we still um, appear to be um, banging our head against the brick wall of Bastoni. Jack and Charlie, you, you two spend all your time sniffing around in the undergrowth of the, the transfer window. Where are we with, with the left-sided centre-back? Well, I still feel like it's in Inter's hands, really. Bastoni's agent, Tullio Tinti, said after a meeting with Inter Hierarchy again the other day that Bastoni will be staying, which, of course, he has said before, though we have talked bef- before about how you know he might say that and it might not turn out to be true. Uh, I think the big question really is whether or not they sell Skriniar to PSG. If they do sell Skriniar to PSG, who are in the process, still in the process of uh, finalising Pochino's departure and appointing Christophe Galtier to replace him, best then, coach in France, then yeah, then I think that means that Inter will be able to buy Bremer from Torino, pocket the profit, not have to sell Bastoni. But you know, there's still lots of moving plates. They could easily not sell Skriniar to PSG uh, and sell Bastoni to Tottenham instead, or they could sell Skriniar to PSG then realise there's another shiny new player they want to buy and then buy, sell Bastoni anyway to purchase the, to, sorry to fund the new purchase. So it, I feel like it's all up to Inter at the moment. But let's let's wait and see because I'm sure Paratici will have other, you know, other irons in the fire. Uh, Charlie, assuming that uh, Paratici has actually approached 
every single left-sided defender from Hackney Marshes to the Maracana, why don't Spurs just go in and get Bremer themselves? No, that's a, that's a fair point. But all I was going to say is that what it does mean is that Spurs... It's not like sometimes we've seen with Spurs and many other clubs where they've gone into a new season and you feel they have to have someone in once the season starts. That's not the case in this instance. You know, Ben Davis was brilliant last season and could more is more than capable of playing the first six league games or whatever it is of the season. If, and I'm not saying this is what I would want or advise, it does take a bit longer to get that, that deal right. Can I ask you a question then? And I'll start with you, James, on this, actually, about these left-sided centre-backs. Are Spurs being realistic enough? Because you see them... Um, sort of being reported at least of sort of um, looking and kicking the tyres of Mark Gay at Crystal Palace. But unless you offer Crystal Palace astronomical money, they're not going to sell you Mark Gay, are they? Yeah, I think shopping within the Premier League, of obviously we have seen Spurs sign Basuma mm-hmm. already, although he had one year left on his contract. But shopping on the, in the Premier League for a player who isn't in that contractual situation, I think is, is like totally different to even buying... You know, play as we've seen a club like Inter, who are you know champions a season before season just gone, a Champions League club, a huge club, but clearly there are a lot of clubs of that standing in Europe who have financial issues. That means that you know even their top players are gettable in a financial sense. So yeah, it's ludicrous that the idea that Inter may be more sort of malleable uh, as a kind of uh, transfer target than. Or players that into be more but that, achievable that is than, the, than Palace the players. First transfer window post COVID. That is the reality. That the Premier League, although it has suffered shocking losses on paper compared to its its competitor clubs on the continent, is still awash, larded with money, um, and can you know and can still poke things like Inter Milan and say, no, no, we're going to keep on nagging you about this until the, the economic reality of it hits home. Inter need to make a profit in the transfer market this summer and Crystal Palace don't. Yeah. Like that that's kind of crazy, but it's it's the case. And that's the case for I think probably all, almost all Premier League clubs, I would imagine, certainly ones as stable as Palace. It's all very well Deco wanting to take Rafinha to Barcelona, but Barcelona don't have as much money as Arsenal and Tottenham. So Arsenal and Tottenham will be able to meet Leeds it will be easier in theory for Arsenal and Tottenham to meet Leeds as asking price than it is for Barcelona. On this topic, should say Danny Taylor wrote a good piece today on how and why the big six might start selling to one another basically on this theme because no one else can really afford you know if if you're city trying to sell sterling and gabriel jesus that you know that it's far easier to do that to arsenal chelsea spurs than it is to real madrid or barcelona for example let alone clubs of spurs and uh, arsenal standing in other leagues listen for the sake of the sanity of the listeners and subscribers, why don't we stop talking about transfers that might or might not happen um, and wait till something does happen. I want to focus next on something extraordinary, really. Given um, the optimism that currently surrounds the club, given the qualification for the Champions League, given the amount of goals Spurs got in the second half of last season, how exciting they were to watch on occasion, it's almost impossible now. Now, you, You almost have to un- scramble the human brain and rewire it to remember it's only one year ago 365 of your English days ago that James we were in the absolute vortex of the managerial chaos at Spurs when they could not get somebody to manage the football team yeah let's not focus on the uncertainty of a transfer market and instead let's talk about Tottenham's managerial situation of last summer let's focus on the 
copper bottom certainty involved in that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is incredible how far the club have come. I mean, you could like you could draw that line in the sand even more recently than that. Probably. I mean, earlier this, you know, look. I mean, Jack and Charlie on the podcast were saying towards the end of the season how much uncertainty there was about Antonio Conte staying at the club, even beyond the point where they'd qualified for the Champions League. It still kind of seemed like there was a possibility he would go. So, the kind of degree of certainty and the and the fact that we kind of have a vague idea what the team is going to look like and who's going to be in charge going ahead into this season what that's going to look like is quite a big departure from not only last summer but also what we thought it might have been what two months ago if that I mean how will do you think Jack five ten years down the line people will look at the, the recent history of Spurs and Nuno Espirito Santo is going to appear like something like Ryan Mason, somebody who was on the it was on the firm. They got in to smooth them over a difficult period, and then got in the proper manager. Yeah, I mean, even at the time, I think we all knew deep down that Nuno was a bit of a glorified caretaker. I must admit um, that didn't occur to me. Contract. Didn't occur. Well, two, that contract. Easy for Tottenham to get rid of him if certain criteria weren't met. Clearly, you know the ambition that Levy had that made him go for Mourinho, get him, go for Conte, nearly get him that would not be satisfied by Nuno. Like, that much was obvious. So I think it was clear that that was only ever a, ever a stopgap. What is interesting, really, is if, if you take a step back, Tottenham have been not always good, but they've always had very good managers, all very famous managers, uh, really since, well, to be honest, since Pochettino was appointed eight years ago. And so it is really weird that they had these, um, you know, in the context of that, the 10 league games of Nuno at the start of this season. And so asking how exactly they came to that situation is a funny one. I think it's just one of those... Look, we can talk about this all day, but when they appointed Nuno, I think they had to appoint Nuno. But the the, the what is so curious is the, the sort of bizarre co- sequence of events that put them in that position where on the 29th of June last year, a few days before the players returned, they thought, well, they realised we have to do this now. That is interesting what you say. What, what that looks like in the history books in... 10, 15, 20 years' time. It's going to be really weird, isn't it? Because you'll have Pochettino, who I think it's probably safe to assume will be a very highly regarded manager yes, absolutely. Uh, for the rest of time. Yeah. Jose Mourinho, who, despite you know, his scoffing on podcasts like this one, is obviously one of the most successful and managers. And has proved that again at Roma, to, and, and to be yeah, fair exactly, to him. Exactly, to be fair yeah, to him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, then Antonio Conte. <laughs> yeah, Antonio Conte, again, <laughs> a Premier League winner, a Serie A winner. Who knows what you know? Did incredibly well of Italy. In he is both a Serie A winner and a Serie A winner, isn't he? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and in the middle of there, you've got a guy who got Wolves into the Europa League and did sort of six out of ten at Valencia. The thing I always think is so amazing about the, that managerial search, and I've, I've made this point before, I think that is that for for all it was so awful, they they almost benefited from the fact that Nuno was so bad that they were able to get rid of him very quickly at a time when, A, the season was still salvageable and Conte was still available. Had they got someone in like Fonseca who they were sort of okay with and pootled along to fifth or sixth or something, then that would have been far, far worse than actually the absolute disaster and worse hire that was Nuno. Um, 
But I still think it will be looked back on as one of the strangest managerial appointments by a, a big Premier League club. You know, m- most you can understand the rationale. Mourinho, we've talked about many times. Yes, for all that it didn't work out, you can see what they were doing, what they were thinking. Likewise, other managerial appointments that have gone worse, but you could still kind of see the logic. This one, I think even at the time, it was very hard to make the case that this was anything other than a very, very odd, unsatisfactory appointment. Yeah, I think Charlie. I think Charlie's spot on that it, it is unprecedented for a top club, which which is effectively what Tottenham are, to get an appointment this wrong, so it burns out this quickly. Um, you know, big clubs do have to make sackings from time to time, but not not usually this this soon. So I imagine whether you know future historians of Tottenham Hotspur, hundreds hundreds of years from now, looking back on it, will see Nuno as a kind of Edward VIII, Lady Jane Grey figure who only lasted a few days in in, in the big job before having to be replaced by somebody more suitable. That's exactly the point I was thinking that, you know, you you have these managerial calamities, you know, Leroy or Rossini or whatever, but Spurs aren't supposed to be talkie, are they? And the big clubs just do not do this 12-week thing. It was amazing. We have to consign to the dustbin of memories. And just, I suppose... And, you know, I've had my own issues with him. Just thank our lucky stars, Antonio Conte, for whatever reasons and whatever combinations of reasons decided, all right, I'll give this a go after all, no matter how reluctant it may have been. And it is possible as well, you know. Um, it is. It, it, may, this is, it may seem unlikely with somebody who's as toughly professional as Antonio Conte. It is always possible that when people get through the door, they fall in love with a football club uh, in the way that, I guess, Son has, for instance. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, we'll have a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about one for the future and possibly what the future is for that one for the future in the form of Alfie Devine. And then uh, we, Charlie has picked his um, five-a-side uh, team from the current Spurs squad for The Athletic. And you can read that piece, I think, tomorrow or uh, Thursday. Yes, that's right. And we'll be telling him how he's got this so very, very badly wrong indeed. You're listening to The View From The Lane. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, 
the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly, and with me is the full panoply of talent that this podcast can bring to you. I mean, of course, Jack Pitbrook, James Moore, and Charlie Eccleshare. Those who you know what scraps of football are left now will have noticed a fantastic finish and a very good goal by Alfie Devine for England's um, under-19s. I mean, it, I would guess it would be categorised these days as a wonder goal. Really good. And I know, um, Charlie, that you're going to write... Uh, a big piece about Alfie uh, for The Athletic. Just for those of us, you know, we don't all watch the Spurs reserve games. The jungle drums suggest always that he is the next one in the same way that Skip leapfrogged over Harry Winks. Maybe he's the next midfielder off the block of the Spurs academy. What kind of player is he? Most fans won't have seen him play very much. Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the piece is out there, actually. Um, ah. Went up this morning. And as you listen to this, I hope he hasn't, put in a stinker of a performance for the under-19s this evening as we record. But uh, on Sunday, he was brilliant and did score that excellent goal, as you say. He, um, he's, I'd say, essentially a number eight. He can also play uh, as a 10 or as an inside forward. He's been playing for the 19s kind of nominally on the right of a front three. But he... um, He's basically a goal-scoring midfielder. That's his game, kind of getting on the end of things. Really good finisher, good dribbler, lot of presence. I mean, he's kind of, he is the man at that level. I mean, he's been brilliant for the under-23s. He's only 17. And, you know, even in this tournament, most of the Austria team the other night were 19 and, you know, that fair bit older and bigger than him. But he's one of these guys who's fearless. He's been training with the first team. He was in a lot of matchday squads for the first team, including for the North London derby. And as I report in the piece, you know, Conte is a really big admirer of his. And, you know, the, the plan is for them to sit down and talk about a new contract uh, when he gets back from the Euros. His current deal expires in a couple of years, so there's no massive rush. But the plan is to loan him out the season coming, Championship maybe, League One, Scottish Premier League, teams from all those leagues interested. And this is, yeah, he is very much the guy at the moment. Um, him and Dane Scarlett, the guys, who there's a, a lot of buzz around. And I have to say, when you watch Scar- uh, when you watch Divine, you you can see why he does he does have a real presence about him to go with the ability that you know the stars of the future often have. Let me ask you this question then: the the big barrier for someone like uh, like him is not talent. It's probably not attitude. Looking at the way he played for England, it is. Can you even after your loan period in the Scottish Premiership or wherever, can you get yourself into a top six Premier League team? Is he that talented? Talented enough to, you know, all the managers are playing from, you know, they're six six defeats away from a from from a sacking. Is he that good? I think talent wise, yes. I mean, it's extremely hard to say um, yes, whether he can, you know, to, to actually make it. You need such a confluence of things to happen. You need the talent. You need the attitude, and you do need a bit of luck. You do need the circumstance. You know, even someone like Harry Kane. You know, he, he got his chance and, and he took it. But I, but I think he would. I think he would be able to take his chance. I, but it is really, really important that the loan's right. You know, we saw, we saw that with Ollie Skip. You get the loan right, and then he came back and was ready. I think Troy Parrott ultimately had a really successful, finally yes. transformative loan. Yeah, having had a couple of tricky ones the season before, and they Spurs are aware of that, and they 
that is a decision they're not going to take lightly. But again, there is an element of good fortune there because, you know, you, you can end up at a loan club who, for whatever reason, are really struggling and their manager suddenly is like, well, I need to rely on the experienced heads. I can't be trusting a 17-year-old you know, or eight, he turns 18 in August. Um, but I think if that goes right, then hopefully by next season he will be in a position to start uh, pushing for first-team minutes or they may think, well, let's give him another year to really hone what he's got. But I, but I do think the talent's there. He's a really, really exciting player. Now, this is the moment where Charlie has to reveal something to us. I understand there's a piece coming um, very soon in The Athletic where the writers who specialise in in certain clubs um, have been asked to pick a -a five-a-side team. It's the old pub game. Uh, Pick a -a five-a-side team from the current squads of the the, the teams they cover. And so, Charlie, you've been asked to pick your Spurs five-a-side team. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All all clubs have had someone who picks their five-a-side team okay well before I, I i will allow you to pick it and we'll talk about it before i explain my views on five-a-side which is a whole separate thing who have you picked who have you picked well i was first of all i was saying to james and tom before this this is very reminiscent of kind of january of this year when spurs would lose a game and i'd be chucked to, to start the podcast off by kind of defending a 2-0 defeat to Chelsea before you guys could all tell me how wrong I was. So um, good to relive those happy times. That is how we like it, Charlie. Let's be honest. Yeah, no, yeah. no, I know. It's uh, ha- happy to be the full guy. Uh, we, for, we should say as well that goalkeep- obviously goalkeepers have to stay in goal. We're not playing some kind of mad no. rush goalie system where you might elect to go with five outfielders. Sure. So, so with that in mind, obviously Hugo in goal and who I think with his cat-like reflexes would be very, very handy in five side. Danny, you're shaking your head you're already at this already. point. Of course, Fraser Forster. Wow. It'd have to be Fraser Forster. No. Fraser Whoa. Forster would take up the entire five side goal. <laughs> it's, it, Loris is a terrible idea. Just get Fraser no, Forster to no, lie no, no, across no, no, the no, no, goal. No. They've got a score in a two foot gap between his shoulders and the, and the actual crossbar, of course. Wow. Danny, you, Danny, this is meant to be a serious exercise, and you're taking the piss. No, no, this, no, it's not. This is the kind. This of, is a noble pursuit. This is the kind of stuff that's made me virtually unemployable in British media today. <laughs> um, all right, all right. Well, look, you'll, you'll have your chance. Uh, I'll finish no my race. team. So no we, we, we did, we did a little bit of debate on this as to whether it's worth going with a defender. I think it is when that defender is Christian Romero, who would be so terrifying to play five aside against in a cage. With things like the ball goes in the corner and there's that unwritten rule where you kind of let someone edge out. I mean, there is absolutely no way he's letting you edge out. He is just coming No, he would play five-a-side ice hockey, wouldn't he? Oh, it would just be so terrifying. Whenever you, got, whenever an opposition attacker got the ball, he would be just breathing down their neck mm-hmm. and forcing them to panic and give the ball away. Then my, my wild card pick, which uh, I know will get a lot of dissent, is a certain Tongi Ndombele. Mm-hmm who I think would be an unbelievably good five-a-side player. Impossible to get the ball off, can beat a man at will, which is just so useful in fives to have that. Uh, and then Kane and Son, which is, which ho- hopefully you guys will find a way to disagree with that as well. But I think both of those would obviously just score a huge number of goals. Is this game being played indoors? Because I, I worry that if it's one of those like, if it's one of those like sports centres and it's like really humid, I don't know Ooh. whether Ndombele's going to be up for it. I, I was imagining a kind of outdoor power league type. Yeah, because you, 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 you don't want okay. humid son, do you? That won't work at all. <laughs> um, so, oh. J- James, apart from fretting about the actual climactic, climatic conditions in which the game was going to be played, what do you make of that, that five? I wouldn't have Harry Kane. 
Oh. He's got him both studs up there. Uh, Go on. Uh, no, sorry, look, we had to make this interesting. Uh, he can't do, like, his long raking passes because it's below head height, right? And obviously there isn't, like, the pitch dimensions to do that anyway. And I kind of think if you've got Son in the team, he's a much better forward in that kind of setup, I think. But Kane is... Uh, but Kane can play anywhere. He, he can, if, if Kane could play in goal, I'd have Kane in goal. But apparently that's not allowed. You can so. have him there. If you want to have him in goal over Luis, you can. It's just that he can't then come out. Could he play instead of Romero? Yeah, that's what yeah, I Yeah, that, that is an option. Mate, no, okay, I'll put Kane in goal then. That's all right. He can still shoot from the other end of the pitch, can't he? All right, so we so the, th- uh, the three yeah, people yeah, who, yeah, are, yeah. who are pined on this as yet have all got a different but goalkeeper. Who are, you re- who are you replacing? Who are you replacing Kane with? Kane, Kane Romero. Yeah. La Celso. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> good, fine. Uh, but but he's good. Think of the, the tenacity. If we're playing in some like cage somewhere, and it gets a bit tasty, you need a bit of no no. I, you you need, don't, you've you got enough a bit, of that. You need Romero. a bit of needle. Well, you need no no more James. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not I want to, I want this to be a place where all opinions are welcome. And with it, we've already had the nonsense of the recent goal, so you might have done the Celso in midfield by all means. <laughs> Uh, then Son and how many was that for? you got one more oh well, um, uh, Brian Hill alright <laughs> so I've got a player in my team who I think has not been mentioned yet I um, think it's going to be obvious which one of the four of us or the five of us sorry four of us one two three four which one of the four of us hasn't written their team down so I've got uh, I've got Kuliseski don't you think Kuliseski would be good well who else have you got before we get to Kuliseski so you've, you've got Lloris he- is it is he playing in goal? No, I've got I've just gone for Lloris over Kane in goal. <laughs> then I've got Kane and Dombele, Kulisewski and Son. Kane. So no, sorry, no Romero. Romero's just too much of a liability. He'd get he'd spark a fight with the opposition. But you, that's that's what it's all about. That's what you need. Is it? Yeah. But what about bad blood? If you go, to, if what about you know? So you've know, gone for Kane machine. and Dombele, Kulisewski and Son. Let me ask you about Kulisewski. Yeah. Don't you think Kulisewski would be good? Is he, he would be good. He was my first reserve. In my team, I said, if someone's running late from work and can't get to the start of the game, Kulisewski comes in. He's got really yeah, good control like- and feet. He's really, he's deceptively strong. He's not like a mass, he's not like a sort of long distance runner, but you don't really need to be in quite the same way. And um, yeah, I just think he'd be really good. Can score off either foot. Yeah. Well, those are those. I mean, those are very well balanced. Three very different teams. Uh, I, I, I had not, I must admit, anticipate the argument about Kane in goal. Um, and it's <laughs> uh, a great shout. I, I tell you why it's a great shout. I'd shout. say it's the most sensible part of my team. <laughs> uh, and and I'm going to back you up on that now. And I think because um, it backs up my view that no matter what Spurs get offered for Harry Kane, they should never ever sell him. And if necessary, play him in goal if, if to fit him into the team when he's when his knees have gone. And his ankles um, are made out of sticking plaster and bits of Meccano. Um, I would put him in goal then just to have him at the club. The first choice and the one you're going to read about in The Athletic is Lloris, Romero and Dombele, Kane and Son. James has gone for Harry Kane. No, sorry. Let me get this right. Yes, James has gone for Harry Kane, Romero, Lo Celso, uh, Son and Brian Hill. It's an incredible lineup. Um, (laughs) And it doesn't sound like it was made up on the spot at all, uh, to be fair. Uh, where Jack has gone for Lloris, just edging Harry Kane out of the goalkeeping spot, and then a very attacking-looking foursome um, of Kane and Dombele, uh, Kulusevsky and Son. Well, if that doesn't get um, the, the the listeners and subscribers going, then I'm not sure what will. 
Wait, so what's yours then? Oh, I, well, I, 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 mine is Forster. <laughs> what, this little thing? Yeah. Yeah. Forster, Davis. Doherty. Davis. Davis. Um, yeah. Um, Kane, uh, Son. Alan Gilsey. Uh, <laughs> I was going to do that joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, Jimmy Dimmock, yeah. Um, I haven't thought about it because I, I thought this would take so long with the three of you arguing over it that I would not be required. Um I don't know who the mid other midfielder would be. I think Bissouma. Bissouma would yeah, be very Bissouma. good. Yeah. Um, so Davis covers passing out from the back um, and tackling people. Bissouma covers lots and lots of ground. And Kane and Son, the important thing about Kane and Son is they play so well together. And I'm pretty sure that if they were playing in a two rather than a three, that they would find each other at close range as well. I, I think... What's interesting about this is that even with just five players to pick, none of us can agree. I wanted to mention just for the older listeners, and you're all too young, I think, to remember, back in the day in the sort of late 70s, early 80s, when footballers could still be persuaded and could be insured to do things like superstars, the Evening Standard ran a fantastic five-a-side tournament at the Wembley Arena. And it was televised live. And the five-a-side, the Evening Standard five-a-side football tournament, all the London clubs, Leighton Orient, Fulham, all of them, would enter a team of their current players. Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea put out their best possible players. And this spread to other sort of television areas uh, over the course of the next couple of years. And it became a national thing. But that kind of masters football you see now played on five-a-side was being played by the best players in the country. And it was pretty fantastic. The only thing I would say about it, they used to play on what's clearly a squares of blue carpet. And during the course of the evening, these would ruck up terribly. Um, and so it's hard to imagine, but they'd be playing the five-a-side on worse pitches than they were playing the actual 11-a-side on at the same time. But for, go and look it up on YouTube. Anybody listen to my voice, I, I just believingly. The, the evening standard five-a-side tournament, it was something else. It was the, just the best players playing the game that we all played in the playground. It was amazing. That does sound, that does sound absolutely incredible. There was something in '97 as well where Liverpool went to I think it was Amsterdam right. and they played in this they played in a tournament. Uh, I don't know if it was six or seven aside, but it was a small sided tournament with Rangers. Rangers were definitely there because Gaza. There are various stories of Gaza being kind of on one. Oh. Um, yeah, I know, hard to believe. Uh, but yeah, Liverpool were there, Ajax were there. There are some images of that as well. Absolutely impossible to believe that even like in, as recently yeah. as '97, they could just go off mid-season as well and just play in this this uh, exhibition seven aside or whatever it was tournament. But God, I'd love to see it now. Although, oh. imagine you know, a, a City, Liverpool, oh. Spurs, all those teams playing fives. I mean, I mean, the, the argument we've just had about Spurs. Imagine the Manchester City argument about who was going to be in mm. their five-a-side team. Jack, do you want to pick yeah. it off the top of your head? A Manchester City five-a-side team to end the end the podcast. Edison in midfield. Um, <laughs> I would. So I would have Edison course, in goal, yeah. and then I would Scott Carson in goal. Bernard, <laughs> um, Bernardo, Foden, Mares, and Zinchenko. Well, no Haaland. No, he's not five-a-side. No Haaland. No, Bru- no De Bruyne. No, actually, I would have yeah. De Bruyne. I'd have De Bruyne <laughs> instead of. Surely, what, Zin- why Zinchenko? Zinchenko. Zinchenko is technically amazing. He's so. Good. Ask any City player who the best technically player, who the technically really? best player at the club is, and they'll have Zinchenko near the top. Yeah, is he? Is he Man City's Musa Dembele? No, he's not that good. But, no, but he's, I mean, you know, uh, the one the thing, teammates yeah, love. Everyone. Oh yeah, he's, he's, he's the player the who the players will be like, oh, you should see this guy in training. So yeah, have Edison, De Bruyne, 
uh, Mares, Bernardo Foden. Yeah, that would be all right, wouldn't it? You could, uh, you could. Say, I mean, the television companies would have to. Well, you'd get the ball back after they score, wouldn't you, for the kickoff? So um, you'd at least see the ball then. Listen, guys, thank you very, very much indeed. I hope by the next time we speak in a week's time here on the View from the Lane, um, some of these transfers will have ground their way forward as well. I don't want to become a modern football fan where the whole game is about transfers and it becomes kind of Love Island, Willy Won't He and all the rest of it. But I would like to see more progress, if only to satisfy Conte's lust for early transfer window deals. Um, and remember that if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up right now and read all of our articles on Spurs as well as everything else on the site. And as I always say, it's a magnificent pile of stuff. Um, and there is plenty for you to, to read on the big transfers that do get done over the summer. Just go to theathletic.com slash Spurs pod um, and sign up now. Thank you, James. Uh, thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Jack. And thank you all for listening. Till next time. Bye. The Athletic.